The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello, and we are going once again. Let's bring in my co-host, Mr. Keith Jones. He is the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. Keith, this year has flown by. Can you believe? We're like in the final quarter. We're talking PRI already, and we've got another episode. How are you, Keith? I'm doing just great. Yeah, we've been nonstop slammed. It's been an amazing year. Uh for those that pay attention to the weather, hottest, driest summer on record in Phoenix. Here we are rolling into the fall, my favorite season of the year, and it's still 100 degrees. I don't know what the heck is going on, but I'm ready for that fall weather to kick in. Yeah, me too. Here in uh, sunny South Florida, it has been ridiculously hot out there on the racetracks in the NHRA. They're trying to melt us down out there, but we keep coming back, and it has been a lot of fun. And that brings us to our guest today, someone that I have made the acquaintance and became friends with out at the NHRA through his uh, EFI tuning prowess and experience and as we have done these shows we talked about the speed demon when they set the record who did the tune on the speed demon this guy did we're going to be talking with shane tecklenberg and what was interesting to me keith is that you guys had not met until today how is that possible it is an amazingly large and at the same time amazingly small industry uh like we talked about just a couple moments ago, we all know each other, but maybe there's two or three degrees of separation. And and more than likely, Shane and I have probably walked past each other at the racetrack, just didn't know it, and didn't know all of the same projects that we're all involved with. It's 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 kind of amazing. There's so many things that we get done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who that is, and I know about that guy, and I know that guy. You just we just never ran into each other before. Like you say, it's a an amazingly big little world. Well, that's what's great about Hidden Horsepower, bringing worlds together, taking a little time to talk about the projects. And so let's bring him into the show right now. Tuned by Shane T. You've seen the decals out there on a lot of the race cars. Mr. Shane Tecklenberg joining us on Hidden Horsepower. Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited about this. So, Shane, you were out at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway this past weekend tuning Lee Hartman's FlexJet factory stock showdown machine and maybe another car or two for all I know. But, um, you know, tell us how it went. Yeah, I was indeed. I've been working with Hartman for a couple of years. Um, he's got one of my uh, MoTeC engine management systems on it with the custom firmware that I've written for the class. And uh, so we've been running that on his car for a couple of years now. Um, and, you know, we, we're just starting to maybe see some success. Uh, as you can imagine, it's a very difficult class to run. And the people that are there already are quite good at it. And so coming in out of left field and trying to figure it out takes a little bit of time. So uh, this weekend was another one of those weekends. Um, we, we had a pretty good race car. We, we showed up and spun the tire a couple of times, but we got it together and Q3 and went 781, put us about 11th in the field. And we had the number 12 guy based on the number of cars in the, in the field this weekend. And uh, he'd gone 82. And we stepped it up a little bit, and he won and went 74 to his 82. And that was good. But the bad part of that is it put us up against Stephen Bell, who'd gone 69. So we gave it our best shot in E2. The weather was completely different than it had been all weekend. We ran at about 930 in the morning. The track was good, the air was good, and we weren't good enough. 
Uh, Lee went red to top it all off, but we just didn't have enough. We were going to outrun him anyway. So it wasn't our weekend, but we move forward to the next one and see how we can do. Yeah, very exciting to see you out there. I know uh, I had a conversation with Ben Strader late in the in the weekend. I know you guys had like a little uh, fun putting stickers on each other's cars, et cetera, and so on. But I think the class is a magnet for people like yourself who know what they're doing, not just Factory Showdown, but the new Factory X category, even Pro Stock, right? EFI, Pro Stock Motorcycle. EFI is the thing. That's got to be music to your ears. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I kind of got my start in professional drag racing through Pro Stock Motorcycle way back when. I, You know, they say when one door closes, another door opens. I happened to be working for Motec USA where I started in 2001. And uh, my grandmother passed away, and she lived in Denver. So we went back for the funeral, which was in July. So you know where this is going. Yeah. Um, my uncle, my uncle lives just down the road, just down Morrison Road from the track. And so we were at the wake, and we're sitting on the on the upper, upper deck, you know, and everyone's kind of sitting around, sad. And you can hear it echoing off of, you know, the hear run on fuel cars. And I'm looking at my dad, and my dad looking at me, and I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, I'm going to the races. Who wants to go? So we all went, but since I was brand new at Motec, I was really interested in pro stock motorcycle. And I happened to come around the corner where they were, Vance and Hines were working on their Harley project. And, you know, I noticed it had EFI on it. And so I was looking at it for an hour and eventually got up the nerve to walk up to the fence and ask if I could talk to Byron. And I told Byron, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't know what you guys are, are, are dealing with or what your deal is, but I work for a company that sells a, piece of electronics that I think would help you out with what you're what you're trying to do and if you'd like to talk about it here's my you know here's my contact information well lo and behold he calls me before the world finals and says hey come out and tell us about it so I did and the short story is they ended up with it on the bike the next year and that was about 2003 uh, and that was the first year that they started qualifying with the Harley when they started running Motec and then the next year they won the championship. So that was a, that was a home run as far as, as far as I was concerned. And there certainly isn't any more remarkable team to be involved with in motorcycle racing than Vance and Hines. They welcomed me like I was, a, you know, just one of the team. And in fact, the year they won the championship, they had me go to the, uh, you know, to the dance with them at the end of the year. So that was a lot of fun at that time. I think it was out in Palm Springs, but Anyway, yeah, so I, so I sort of started out my, my NHRA tuning career in Pro Stock Bike and always have remained friends with those guys and supported them through the years. As a matter of fact, they still run Motec now, and me and Andrew and Eddie always have conversations back and forth about different things when they have questions they think I can help them with. And then when they switched to EFI and Pro Stock, I got the call, and that was about, I don't know, 2016 or something like that. I got the call from the Grays, um, through a contact I had met over in the Middle East, Justin Elks. Uh, and Justin Elks was a crew chief at, at Gray Motorsports. And he called me and said, hey, we're running EFI and we can't figure out how to make this thing run right. And I know you know what you're doing with it. Can you come help us make it at least idle so we can stage it and go make runs? So <laughs> I showed up in, in Phoenix like the two days before Pomona because I was somewhere else doing something. I couldn't come any earlier than that, but anyway got the thing to idle and we went to Pomona and then unfortunately didn't qualify, but I worked with them for a couple, three races and then kind of got out of that doing in some other projects. And then next thing you know, I get a call from a guy named Richard Freeman. Got some guy 
some guy that I don't really know, I know of, but I mean, to me, he sounds like a used car salesman. So I'm like trying to get rid of this guy. I'm not sure if he's for real or not. So I call Justin and I go, Hey, who's this Freeman guy? He goes, yeah, you probably should take that phone call. <laughs> but you weren't so wrong, but you weren't wrong English. though. You weren't wrong with your gut. Like, <laughs> no, I, in fact, I told Justin, I said, this guy comes off like a used car salesman. He goes, well, he, he is a used car salesman. <laughs> I said, oh, well, that's why. He says, but you should probably, he's kind of a big deal. You should probably take his call. So I was in England at the time and, you know, he's blowing my phone up in my email and whatever. So I, I called him and I said, look, I don't, I can't help you now for a week at least. I'm on, I'm on vacation and I'm tuning a car here. Um, but I'll help you when I come back. So then I, I, I went and helped them for a little bit too. And that was at the sort of the dawn, the dawn of, of EFI and ProStock. Amazing. Oh, the the thing that made me laugh was that you said like, "Can you help us get the car to idle?" That was the big problem at the start. Like from idle to burnout, they couldn't do it. They couldn't figure it out. There was huge problems with it. I mean, number one, it's sometimes it's tricky to get an engine like that to idle anyway with EFI. Not not because EFI is tricky, but just because of the components that are used in like a, a pro stock engine has a super light flywheel and stuff. So there's it doesn't want to stay running. So the big problem was the throttle bodies. The, the throttle when you start the engine, you could feel the throttle shaft flex, and it would because it would flex the throttle, it would effectively open the air to the engine, which would rev it up, and then it would rev up high enough to pull a bunch of vacuum and bend it even more, and then slow down. So they had a massive problem surging. So from time to time, when you work on an EFI race car engine without an idle control system where it can open the blade on its own or bypass air around the blade to make it idle, you end up having to do it with ignition timing. You know, you learn that trick through the years. And so it wasn't any problem for me to fix it. I showed up in about five minutes, I had it idling. That is awesome. All right, I want to get Keith in here. Keith, of course, the ring seal side of things. Shane T with experience in drag racing, and of course, that's my wheelhouse. But uh, you know, when the Speed Demon set the record last year, uh, we had a hidden horsepower episode, and that's in our archive talking about the mutual projects that you guys have worked on. I know, Shane, you've done, uh, you know, you've worked at Pikes Peak. You know, you're going from drag races to the salt flats to Pikes Peak. You're all over tuning everything. The photo and the artwork shows you with some Ferrari engineers. So we want to touch on all that, but also want to bring it back to Ring Seal. Right before we started the show, Keith was saying that, uh, the, something that can make the rings very unhappy is improper air fuel mixture. So let's start there, Keith, and uh, fire a question at Shane. Well, yeah, it's just you know what I what I deal with is so many of the you know we'll say the younger guys, less experienced guys, uh, don't have your kind of background or access to a person like yourself and any anything you can help these guys out with because the one thing. Uh, as I said to Joe a little earlier, if you want you want to piss off a new engine and you really want to piss off a new set of piston rings, you dump way too much fuel through this thing. You know during that initial break into that initial running process, rings absolutely hate it. Cylinder walls really hate it. And any advice, any information that you could help these guys with, whether it be you know on hidden horsepower or you know through another connection, a way to get a hold of you, because this is something we deal with as a ring manufacturer on a daily basis. You know whether the guys you know tuning his Honda or his late model Mustang, you know they go out, they buy a Motec or they buy whatever brand of system they they're going to put on, but they put it on the car, and well you know I drove it for a couple of weeks and then I took it to my tuner. And he spent all of a half an hour on the car, ran it wide open throttle, and I'm good to go. 
And as you and I both know, that's not the case. So what information can you give these guys? Hey, you, you know, you built that brand new engine, you put that new EFI on there, and you know, what's, what's the next step? What, what should they be doing next to make sure they don't cause any damage to this engine? And there's a whole bunch to that, that whole several sentences you offered, but, but we'll just go with the last bit, which was if, you've, if, you're, if you're going to buy a system, go find out who the most competent tuner is that uses that system and hire them right from the get-go do everything he says, and then it'll work out how you want. You don't, you don't go to a guy like Gordon Ramsay and ask him for his best steak and then tell him, but I want to show up with a steak I bought at Walmart, and I want you to use you know, these seasonings that my, my wife uses, but I want it to taste like a Gordon Ramsay steak. And that's the, the same analogy works for engine calibrators. Let them use the tools they know how to use. Trust what they do it every day. Do what they say. You'll have success. That's awesome. <laughs> That's simplistic and, and, and awesome. And I appreciate you saying that because it is, like I say, this is an everyday phone call for us. And as Joe's heard me say this before, you know, we are the redheaded stepchild of the engine. We get blamed for everything. So when they've, oh no, you know, no, 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 I, I beg to differ, yeah. sir. The tuner, the tuner, <laughs> is the number one reason. It, is uh, it, so? It's you guys. It's your fault. Brains. Yeah, it's the tuner's fault first, no matter what happens. Guy with outstanding. Like orange he, he's the guy. He's the one in there causing problems. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I, you guys it's, both it's have that, the same. Some, some, sometimes it's sometimes the word tuning gets interchanged easily with the word ruining. <laughs> tuning and ruining. I get it. Yeah. I knew you guys I, like, would I, have I, a lot. I, 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 I can. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Well, talk about Shane. Go into and, that a little bit more. Go in. And, go in depth. And I'll just say, it's probably not the tuning that's the problem. It's probably the lack of. <laughs> Yeah, look, no, you're right. look, there's there's a whole bunch of things that lead into why this is so difficult. Let's let's take a real step back and look at it. Guy buys a carburetor out of the catalog at Summit, bolts it on his pick and engine. When he bolts it on, he doesn't have to know much. If he can get the bolts tight and hook the fuel line up, it'll start and it'll idle. It might not be right, but it'll be close. And he can actually go run it down, you know, drive it down the road, and it'll pretty much drive. And it may not be perfect everywhere, and it may not be perfect at full throttle, but it's 90% of the way. And traditionally, when you buy a brand new EFI system, it's not that way at all. It, it knows nothing until you program and tell it how or what. So you're, it'd be like if someone sent you a box with, an alum, with a bunch of aluminum parts in it and said, here's a drill bit, start building a carburetor. You know, you can imagine how well that would work. And, and that's how EFI systems were traditionally sold. Like, here's an empty box, go figure it out. And then you hire somebody that knows how to make it work. But even the someone that knows how... Um, without background knowledge and without having some of the basics and the fundamentals is going to going to basically poke at it with a stick. So what I mean by that is they're going to try this and try that and try this and try that until they kind of find success with the engine. And there's still an element of that, but you do yourself a massive favor and take a quantum leap forward. If you're either buying a system from someone who can set this up for you, that will make it reasonably run like a carburetor works or go pay guys like Ben Strader to learn how the fundamentals of the FI work so you can avoid all the pitfalls that everyone has fallen into for the last 25 or 30 years when we really didn't understand how it works and we were just poking everything with a stick. You know, at one point I was poking things with a stick, and I still do. Uh, sometimes you're just, you know, whatever you're up against, there is no good explanation, and you're back to – but the, 
you know, what's missing and, and, you know, going back to your question earlier about what, what can kids do now, understanding the fundamentals of what an engine wants. That's the part that's hard to teach. What everybody wants to teach you is, Hey, here's a goal air fuel ratio line, move the mixture up and down until your Lambda hits that goal or your air fuel ratio sensor hits that goal. But guess what? There's lots of reasons why your sensor can be lying to you. And so, for example, if I take a spark plug wire off, because the air fuel ratio sensor or oxygen sensor is measuring oxygen, when I have a misfire, a whole cylinder load full of oxygen goes into the exhaust. That biases the sensor towards the lean direction. So if I'm just looking at lines on a graph, I'm going, wow, it's lean. I need to put more fuel in. And as I continue to put more fuel in, maybe now I develop a rich misfire on another cylinder or maybe two, and it reads leaner again. And so I add more fuel. And so the idea is, hey, guys, what's the goal? Make all these graphs look pretty or make the engine run like it, it should. So the real key is pay attention to the engine. They will tell you what they want. You just have to listen. Excellent. Uh, well, that right there is worth you have you being on the show, and uh, I I know very little about this. I'm a carburetor guy just by uh, habit, right? But I have learned one thing, which is that, and you tell me why this is true, that um, whereas the, the the engine pulled through the carburetor all that they wanted, you know, like the engine kind of controls the carburetor, whereas EFI kind of controls the engine is something that I have been told because you have so many options and things that you can do to force it down through there, whereas previously with a carburetor, the engine pulled through the carburetor. Can you speak on that a little bit, and, and, and is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, the carburetor measures the airflow that's going through it by way of pressure drop and meters fuel based on the amount of, of airflow. So it's at least somewhat related to what the engine wants. Let's go to a purely mechanical system. A purely, a purely mechanical EFI system, uh, sorry, mechanical injection system like what they run on a sprint car or some of the uh, unsupercharged um, drag race stuff. It knows pump speed, and that's it. The faster the pump goes, the more fuel tries to go in the engine. It can change nozzles a little bit, but the engine's airflow curve doesn't match that shape at all. And EFI systems, when they are used with an air mass meter, so it can measure the mass of air that the engine's consuming, work exactly like a carburetor, only better, because they have an infinite number of circuits to be able to, under every condition, keep the air-fuel ratio correct. But no one ever uses a mass meter on a race engine. Number one, it's too complicated. Number two, typically they're too small to meet the airflow demands of something like a drag race engine. And, and number three, they're very sensitive to, to flow direction. And big camshaft engines with airflow going you know, in and out uh, tend to make the sensor give a false signal. Right. So they're not, they don't lend themselves well to to racing, high overlap, big camshaft engines. But if they did, there wouldn't be a tuned by Shane T because you wouldn't need one. You could program everything up front, hit the key and it would start and run like it does with a carburetor. Only to be perfect all the time. Of course, that's assuming, again, a perfect world, which we all know we don't live in. But but that's that's why a carburetor knows what the demand of the engine is. Uh, and an EFI system has to be programmed to match the demand of the engine based on manifold pressure typically and engine speed or throttle blade angle and engine speed. And it, until you program that curve, uh, you're, it won't run right. And the, and the trouble is not every engine has the same shaped curve. 
So there's not, you can't just get it right on one and hand it out to everybody because it doesn't work that way. It's like a key and a lock. When you modify a key, it doesn't open a lock anymore. And an engine management map, fuel map, is matched to the airflow of the engine by the tuner like a lock fits a key. So if you go do something like, I don't know, change the cam, change the cylinder head, change the exhaust system, take the mufflers off, take the air filter off, whatever you do different than how it was calibrated. You've now changed the amount of airflow going into the engine. And unless the, the change increases the pressure, like take, for example, we tune an engine on a dyno, we have no airflow, right? No air speed, let's say it that way. It's not moving forward through the air. But we put it on a drag strip with a big hood scoop on it, and at 200 miles an hour, it obviously sees ram air. That ram air raises the pressure to the pressure sensor in the intake manifold, and it can compensate for that. But if we do some other change that doesn't change the pressure, it has no idea what the airflow is. It has to be programmed. It's the lock and key syndrome again. So you change it, it'll be wrong. And the closer you get it to right, the further it off, the further off it'll be when you make a change like that. Keith, jump in with a question. Well, I, I love the way you stated all those things because it, it is the, you know, the cause and effect. Everything affects everything. And, and as you stated, dealing with, you know, EFI systems versus carburetors, I actually have one particular customer that builds drag race engines that are fuel injected. But he runs them on carburetors to establish the, you know, the bell, to get that curve. Now he can go and run the fuel injection and try to, we'll say, build off of that. And the stuff for, for a guy that's, quote, unquote, not an EFI guy, he, he does a pretty darn good job and his stuff runs pretty good. But the, the, the question, I guess, that I have for people is, is understanding what you just said about pressurizing, you know, pressure the manifold and, and people to help to understand that uh, as soon as you say change the filter change these things you know put a hood scoop on it and I've had customers that have had great engines on the dyno and they put it in the race car and they're having all kinds of it will say issues that are related to how the fuel curve changed because of and, and getting them I go like hey do you have a hood scoop on the car yeah is it forward facing yes do you think it's pressurizing the airbox well if it's pressurizing the airbox it's pressurizing the manifold have you compensated for that and it's an issue that I run into quite a bit I, I actually had a uh, a normally aspirated motorcycle Kawasaki many many years ago and started measuring pressures inside the airbox and it was amazing at hmm. we'll just say at 150 miles an hour uh, this thing's approaching a bar of pressure inside the airbox, uh, and how much that changed the tuning. So I don't know if it's so much of a question, but you know, helping the people understand how that affects engine tune. Yeah. Well, once, so the, the so the type of um, engine control, or let's say engine management control, I was talking about, is something called speed density. So it's, speed part is the engine speed. And density is the manifold pressure in the plenum that the engine's drawing air, air from. So, again, that's you're, you're using a chart that's RPM one way and manifold pressure another way, and you're plotting points on this chart based on the air-fuel ratio that you want the engine to run at, and you're adjusting these points to get it to run at that air-fuel ratio. Um, but it doesn't actually know the airflow. All it knows is this RPM, that manifold pressure, put this pulse width. And if you do something to modify the airflow into the engine um, that doesn't affect the pressure. So let's say, uh, let's say, for example, we take the mufflers off and now we lose exhaust back pressure. So exhaust back pressure is a form of exhaust gas recirculation or residual 
gases that get left over in the chamber. So what this means is, you know, I don't, I'm sure everybody saw back in the 80s Beverly Hills Cop where, where Eddie Murphy sneaks out to two goon cops sitting across the hotel, parking lot from the hotel and he stuffs a banana in their tailpipe and then says, hey, come catch me if you can. And they go start their engine and try to drive off and it dies and it won't start. Well, if you plug the exhaust up on an engine, eventually it will, con- it will consume enough exhaust gas that you can't combust air anymore at all. There's no air left, and the engine shuts off, and it's not going to run until you can get rid of the exhaust that's trapped between the engine and the, and the atmosphere. And effectively, that's what happens when you have a really restrictive you know, muffler. Or you know, if you run turbos, turbos are a restriction in the exhaust. They generate back pressure. Back pressure effectively makes the engine smaller if it's able to continue to process air. If you plug it completely, completely with a banana, obviously it's going to shut off. But if you were to plug it halfway with a banana, um, you might find a case where the engine runs at full throttle only about as well as it does at part throttle because it just can't get any more air through the engine because it can't move it out the exhaust. And so by changing that, if you tune the engine appropriately with a full exhaust and then remove it, assumably with less back pressure, the engine would, would consume more air and process more air. And if there's more air but the pressure hasn't changed. The engine management system has no way to know that there's more air that the engine's consuming. You know, if it doesn't make a change in the manifold pressure, a change in RPM, it, it can't know to do anything different. So it's just going to put the same amount of fuel in that you programmed it with, with this restrictive exhaust system on it. And so therefore, when you remove the restrictive exhaust system, the engine's going to run lean. So that's why you run something like closed loop, where you look at the oxygen sensor and the air fuel ratio and exhaust and have another correction that happens based on what you want the air fuel ratio to be and what it actually is where you're measuring it. Interesting. Now, you had mentioned earlier, Shane, and I, and I love the reference to the old banana and tailpipe trick. Uh, <laughs> That'll end up in the description, by the way. You got to say it with some soul, brother. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, now, going back to what you said about closed loop, and using a mass airflow sensor, you know, manifold pressure sensor, O2 sensors, you know, we don't use these on modern race engines, as you said. You know, pulsation through the intake manifold, back forth. This is purely going to a theoretical here. Is it processor speed in the computer, the ability to process that amount of data fast enough? Or is it the airflow sensor? What what do you think it would take to make it happen? Absolutely. It is absolutely not the computer. The computer can make several thousand iterations between cylinder firings, even at 10,000 or 20,000 RPM. So it, it's not computer processing speed that's the, that's the problem. Okay. And, and, and actually, mass airflow could be used uh, on racing engines with some modifications to the mass meter and probably some modifications of the software to not let it get tricked by forward and backward moving air. Some mass meters nowadays actually are directional. They have built them in a way where when the airflow comes in the right direction, they get a signal. And when it tries to go the wrong direction, they get no signal. It just stays the same. So it is possible to do. However, it's typically uh, expensive. Um, Not that everything else isn't right, but it's just one more step. And it is quite easy to, to tune an engine with the existing methods, manifold pressure, uh, and mostly like in pro stock, I'm sure it's, it was then, I'm sure it still is now. It's called alpha N 
That's the buzzword, which means it's throttle position in RPM. And that might be a little bit easier for somebody to understand that hasn't done it before, but your map is where I said speed density before. This would be speed throttle position. Engine speed one axis, throttle position the other. And the further open the throttle goes, the more fuel it gets based on a given RPM. So that, that's the other way. And you typically would do throttle position style uh, mapping on engines that don't have lots of vacuum, like, say, for example, a pro stock motor or a pro stock bike motor with no common plenum. Um, if you try to measure the pressure in a single cylinder runner, like on a motorcycle, um, you get lots of wildly varying pressure signals. And unfortunately, those are typically not timed uh, at the same rate that the intake valve is opening. So you get a bunch of errors by trying to do that. On a pro stock engine, you have a common plenum, you can measure pressure there, but they don't make much vacuum at an idle. So you've got a narrow range to be able to tune from where you might only pull, uh, you guys are probably inches uh, used to inches of mercury. So maybe it idles with five inches of vacuum. You know, that's not a huge range to tune from idle to full throttle when you're, when you only have five like numbers to adjust from be a lot better off with an engine that idles with 20 inches of vacuum. Cause then you have 20 steps, right? So what you do instead is you tune with throttle position because that doesn't vary no matter how bad the camshaft is when the throttles at 2%, it's always 2%. Uh, and then the pressure pulsation can't affect your, your, uh, manifold pressure signal. And then you would remove the manifold pressure sensor from the manifold and stick it on the air inlet upstream of the throttle body. Therefore, you get barometric reference, right? So it's measuring the air pressure that the engine's consuming in front of the throttle. And when you get to the finish line, when, when Matt Hartford crosses the finish line at 215 miles an hour, and it sees, you know, three quarters of a pound positive pressure in that inlet tract, it can compensate for that. Uh, you know, so you still get your speed-based ram air pressure con compensation plus your change in altitude but without being affected in any way when the throttle is not wide open by pulsations in the manifold. You see, Keith, like I told you, like I told you, Keith. <laughs> see, I'm mean, absolutely, listen. Absolutely. Keith, just now, I've just know. always, I've always questioned that because I'm not a, you know, I'm not an EFI guy per se. I understand the function, the very, very basics. And that's why I asked the question about the, you know, about the closed loop system. And I've always, you know, it's always been a curiosity in my brain going, I see all these systems that are out there. I was like, none of them have a mass airflow sensor. None of them are closed loop. And, you know, knowing the little bit that I know, it's like, man, they would really be, you know, almost, you know, like you said, almost foolproof at that point in time. So, you know, maybe it, maybe maybe you'll be the guy to bring that first, we'll say, commercially available aftermarket system to market. <laughs> yeah, I doubt, I doubt it. I'm too stupid to do that. <laughs> I just rather go beat my head against the wall doing it the old way. But I want to preface everything, the rest of what I'm saying today by saying that I got this this nicely printed out document from Joe at the end of uh, Sunday's eliminations, and I'm literally just reading word for word what Joe typed on a piece of paper. So he, he must have known these questions were going to come up. He wrote it all out for me, and I'm just reading from that script. Yes, this is it. You know, like that's how we do with all our guests, Shane. You didn't have to tell them, but wink. I'm the, really the brains behind the whole operation. Yeah. Wink, well, wink. Well, the writer <laughs> strikes over, so you know he you know he got to work. Well, you know what's interesting? You mentioned Hartford and you mentioned Pro Stock, and, and there were a lot of people that did not like the switch to EFI. I thought it was a nice tie in myself. I thought so too, since it's total seal, hidden horsepower. No, great job. Yeah. Great job. 215 is a little high, though, with that 10.5 rev limiter, but that's a different well, deal. You know, I had to, 
again, some, maybe had a tall set of tires that time. Maybe so. Yeah, well, so, you know, in, in those absolute seller conditions, you know. <laughs> but here yeah. we are years into it, though, clearly the right move, right, to switch to EFI and make it a relevant thing as opposed to sticking with the carburetors where people were, like, literally sleeping with their best set of dominators? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm Obviously, I'm a fan of EFI, um, but I think they really have – I don't know that they're any more relevant than they were. They haven't really jumped into what EFI can do now. They may have jumped into, you know, the, the dawn of EFI. But there's a lot better things that they could be using if they wanted to be relevant um, in, in form of engine management now. And uh, carburetors made more power, as far as I can tell, and were faster. So that was fine. I think what's really fixed the class as a class is, you know, I was talking about this with Royce the other day. You know, love it or hate it, those guys have saved the class. There's now nine cars under the elite banner. And there's six under KB. But you know what? All of those cars have a shot of winning. It, it used to be there was three guys, and they could win, and nobody else had a shot. Now you've got 15 or 16 cars, and everybody's got a shot. So I, don't, that's, that was, I guess that's my little, you know, my soapbox for a minute. But, yeah, I, car readers wouldn't really bother me. Uh, I don't care. I mean, I love EFI. And I think they haven't really made the leap that they that they wanted to make as far as relevance goes. Well, so now you have to answer that question. You don't have to, but I would love to hear your answer in that. I, as a fan of Pro Stock, have encountered so many people who like and are potentially uh, you know fans of the category, and they have two beefs. Okay, one beef is all the Camaros out there, and there's nothing I can really do about that. It just is what it sure. is. The other is that there hasn't really been a performance jump in a long time, and I know the 10.5 rev limiter is a part of it, and where we're picking up the air for EFI maybe is part of it, you tell me, but... I know yeah. the rules are restrictive, like the number of nozzles and the position of this, et cetera, and so on. Yeah. If you were going to do whatever you wanted to do to the EFI rules in pro stock to take advantage of what you just said, and with all these other projects you're working on, you've been exposed to many things. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what what do you think they should allow? I know why they well, are restrictive, but what would you love? What would be the wish list of things they would allow to deliver that full promise of what EFI can offer? Well, I think you look towards Formula One, right? Obviously, the budget's a lot different, but the typical problem with someone converting a currently gasoline engine with a carburetor over to EFI is they expect that EFI is going to be better than the carburetor. And almost every time, if the EFI nozzles aren't put up in the top of the manifold where the carburetor was, it makes less horsepower with EFI on it because you lose your charge cooling effect by not starting the fuel in the airstream at the top of the air where it enter, enters an intake manifold. You can do some way better things as far as distribution goes by having nozzles in the port, but you can't cool the air off. And, and the other problem is when you use a traditional EFI manifold, a log manifold like they run on cars from Detroit and from Japan, whatever, where they're concerned with hood clearance, if you let the air enter at one end of the engine, you can pretty well expect that the, in, the cylinders at the opposite end of the manifold where the air comes in are probably not going to have the same amount of air going to them that the ones at the front do. And that's typically the problem with a manifold where air comes in in the front. So 
it would take, in my mind, if you were going to embrace EFI, firstly, you'd open it up and possibly allow more different kinds of management systems in. Obviously, you know why I'm saying that. Yes. But uh, embracing EFI, to make an EFI engine viable as, an EF, as a performance engine, you have to take advantage of all of the things that you can take advantage of with EFI that you can't with a carburetor. For example, different runner lengths, um, uh, doing different things with flaps and extending the runner length up and down. Now, for uh, something like NHRA Tech, this just creates a support, a support nightmare, a tech nightmare, right? Because now they've got 20 more things they have to look at instead of 10 things they have to look at. Or maybe it's 20,000 instead of the 1,000. So I understand why it's the way it is. But it would be neat to allow some of the technology that we have in modern cars. You know, for example, there isn't a car driving on the road today, not even any with valves that with rocker arms and valves, you know, two valves that don't have variable camshaft timing. You can move the intake cam 40 or 50 degrees and the exhaust cam 30 or 40 degrees, particularly if it's a, if it's a four valve. Um, and that's been in place since probably 2002 or 2003 on almost everything that comes out of Detroit or, or Japan or anywhere else. So some ability to vary intake uh, and exhaust timing on the fly, some ability to change runner lengths uh, on the fly, that would probably allow these things to come up to the power level that they were before, possibly even exceed that. I love it. I love the uh, the conversation. And, you know, I understand why they went with a spec system, and I totally understand the, the tech nightmare that you just mentioned, right? Like, we have a tough enough time yep. already. But at the same yep. time, the whole process was done to make it more relevant and interest people with uh, electronic fuel injection. So if you're just scratching the surface barely, like what, what's the point of that? Shane, let's talk about yeah, some I of your, go ahead. Go, let's talk about yes, some of your there. other projects, like the photo that yes, people sir. saw, the Speed Demon, right? You, you've raced at Bonneville. You were there this year. You were there for the record breaker. Um, Pikes yes, Peak. Um, how is tuning different for static speed on the salt flats versus acceleration speed on the quarter mile. Speak on some of those uh, projects and challenges that you've overcome. Well, the, the big thing with Bonneville is, you know, the, the distance and the time that you run. For example, Speed Demon leaves the truck, goes full throttle, and stays that way for five miles. It takes 60 seconds, just right at one minute to make a run at about 450 miles an hour going through the traps five miles later. And it's 40 seconds at full power. So the trouble with that, as you can imagine, is you generate a lot of heat, right? And you, and you can certainly nowadays, particularly with turbos, you can generate way more horsepower than you can cool. So half of your job becomes a thermal management um, job. Uh, you're, you have to make countermeasures to the tune of the engine to try to keep it alive. You know, you, you're, you're asking the combustion chamber to stay continually on a rising grade for an entire minute. That means you can't be nearly as aggressive as you can in something that only has to live five seconds. So the, the big change is just the amount of adjustment you have to make for how long it has to run. Other than that, the actual physical act of tuning it isn't any different. In fact, I just simply treat it like it's a five-mile-long drag race because that's all I know. To me, it is a five-mile-long drag race. Uh, you take something like Pikes Peak, the challenge with Pikes Peak. Well, there are many challenges with Pikes Peak, but from strictly the standpoint of tuning, you start Pikes Peak out at 9,300 feet of altitude. At that point, you have about 70% 
on a good day, you have 70% of the oxygen available that you have at sea level and or air density said in a, probably a more proper way, but it's the same, same result. You got about 70% horsepower. So I always relate it to people this way. If I have an engine that makes a thousand horsepower at sea level, when I get to the starting line of Pike's Peak, I have 700. Best case scenario, if I do my job right as a tuner and I lose nothing because I have an incorrect air fuel ratio or incorrect ignition advance for those conditions, I have a 700 horsepower engine, not a thousand. When I get to the top of Pike's Peak at 14,115 feet, I'm at 60% of sea level power. So my I start with 700, I finish with 600. So you can see that's that's the struggle, right? And the way to equalize that is use a turbocharger. But even then, there's no free lunch. You know, you take a turbocharger that's pretty good at sea level and you take it to 9,000 feet and it's kind of out of breath just like the engine is. And then you take it another 5,000 feet higher than that and it definitely doesn't like that. What you end up with is a bunch of exhaust manifold pressure that you don't have at sea level. So the engine's volumetric efficiency suffers because of the pressure ratio across the cylinder is backwards. You know, in a case where you have more exhaust pressure than intake pressure. Uh, and the, everything you do moving up that hill to the turbocharger, the engine is effectively getting smaller, which means you just keep moving, moving further and further to the right on the RPM curve before it'll make boost. So even a car that boosts well and takes the throttle at sea level is a complete dog when you come out of a tight corner at the top of Pike's Peak and you're waiting, 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 waiting for the turbo to come on. So that, that, that presents its own bunch of challenges. And, and those two venues, Bonneville and Pikes Peak, are similar to each other from the standpoint that you, you don't get a lot of do-overs. You know, you get zero do-overs at Pikes Peak. The way Pikes Peak work, it works is you go test for about the whole month of May. Uh, every, every week you go for a day or two and you get up at two in the morning and you go wait in line till they let you on the mountain at four in the morning and then you park your car and as soon as it's light, you can run until about 8.30, and then you have to be off the mountain by 9 o'clock. And so you go run your test in your one-third of the distance of the race course because they break everyone into three groups. And then you rotate, but you never run the entire circuit until race day when it's your turn to race. So after qualifying happens, everyone qualifies based on their time in the, the, the lower sector from the starting line to the, to the entry of the second sector. And... Based on your qualifying time, that's where your start position is during the race. They start at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, and they just keep running cars until they're out of cars. So it could be sunshine. It could be foggy. It could rain. It could snow. Uh, and in some cases, and in, in our case, two years ago, we started out with a relatively clear run to the top, got a red flag because the guy above us crashed, came back to the starting line, waited 45 minutes for him to clear the course, and then when it was our turn to go again, fog had rolled in. So he could only go about 15 miles an hour all the way to the top. So it's a one shot, come back next year, too bad for your luck. And Bonneville is kind of the same way. You go to Bonneville, you line up, and you, you know, in the staging lanes, you make a run. If you qualify for a record, you go to impound, you get four hours to fix the car, go back the next morning to make your return run. Now, your return run is really the only run that counts because if anything goes wrong, Parachute falls out, which I've had happen. Oil line comes off, which I've had happen. You know, car catches on fire, which unfortunately I've had happen like 14 times now with Speed Demon. <laughs> uh, if you can't complete your run and your average speed from your qualifying and your return run aren't higher than the current record, too bad. Get out of line. Start over. you got to requalify. So 
between those two, that's what makes them very difficult. And then they are so different, Joe, than being at a racetrack. You know, the coolest drag strip, the one with the most history, whatever your favorite place to be is at the races, there's a different feeling you get when you walk out on that salt in the morning and the sun is coming up over the mountains in the distance and it looks like you're standing on the face of the moon. And it's the same feeling you get when you're at Glen Cove, 12,500 feet up Pikes Peak, and the sun rises, and you can see probably 100 miles in the distance. And, and it, there's some kind of feeling that that evokes that I can't describe, I cannot put into words, but I would recommend any kind of racing fan of any type, one time in their life, do yourself a favor. Go to Pikes Peak and watch, and go to Bonneville and watch. Keith, jump in with a question. Well, I'm just wrapped into the story right now. I mean, it was like those those are amazing things and, and places that I've wanted to go. I've, I've actually been to Bonneville, but you're going to laugh, not during the races, just to go stand in the salt, stand by the sign, get sure. my picture. So I get a little bit of what you're saying. I'd love to go to both. But as far as the question goes, it goes back to like Joe was talking about all the different things you've worked on. What What's the most and you've probably got a million of them, Shane. What's the most memorable project you've been on? What's the one that, you know, it was really hard. You came out the other end, you kicked butt. You know, the one that you can always go back to, that was great. I loved it. Do you, do you have a favorite? And if so, what was it? I have several favorites, but what immediately jumps to my mind, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of different teams and a lot of different kinds of motorsport. But one of my all-time favorite projects took place in about 2012 uh these road race guys named level five motorsports called me and said hey uh the team owner wants to go run the scca runoffs in a d sports racer which is like a little lmp3 just a miniature lmp car with a thousand cc normally aspirated like uh, suzuki bike motor in it or a 670 cc turbo so we we were thinking about doing both uh, and we're going to see which one's faster. We heard you know about turbos. Do you want to help? Like, yeah, okay, obviously I'm interested. What are the rules for the turbo thing? There are no rules. What do you mean there's no rules? You can run any turbo you want? Yep. Can you run any fuel you want? Uh, you have to be able to get it from the track, but that's it. You know, it's 118 octane. So in, in other words, we're not limited to some stupid pump gas or something. We can make pretty much whatever, as much power as we can cool off. So the big deal at that time was that the normally aspirated engines made 225 horsepower, and they wanted to know if we could make more than 225 with a 670 turbo unlimited. And I'm like, don't want to shoot myself in the foot, but I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't know, we'll see. So the first try with the wrong turbo made 289. The second try, once we got the right turbos from my buddy Robert at Force Performance, built us some turbos to match the engine's displacement and the RPM band we're running it in. The second try made 345. The third try made 425. And when we made 450, they said, okay, scrap the normally aspirated project. We're running the turbo at the runoffs. We spent six months from, from January. The runoffs are in September. We spent six months developing the engine. And then we went and tested it all summer. We rented Road America three times. Uh, and the goal was to win the race and be the first non-open wheel car at Road America to run a lap time under two minutes a lap. And we ended up doing both. We went 155. We qualified at 155, went like 158 or 159 in the race. We were almost half a lap ahead, which is saying something because it's a big course. I think it's four miles around. Uh, and we won by like 35 seconds. So that was like 
all the 80s turbo Formula One stuff that I always looked at and like wished I could have been a part of, but I couldn't because I was too young. I got to relive all of that with a literally unlimited budget. I mean, I worked for the guys in the Middle East too, right? Who have big, this is, this is possibly a more unlimited budget than that. And every person on that team was a team player. There were tons of professionals in every field. And you had this feeling you were among greatness and everyone knows knows there was zero ego. So that was a super team. You know, that's a team where every, it's literally like trying to push a car, you know, where everybody's pushing the car the same direction. That's a super team. You get involved in some of these other teams. They got little quarrels going on and people trying to get other people fired and their little fiefdoms. And it's like having two or three people pushing backwards and two guys sideways and two guys forward. The car don't want to go anywhere. Same thing. Undoubtedly, that was one of the best. Wow. All right. In the artwork, well, there's you and some Ferrari engineers. What was the story there? That was Econo Racing. So that was my other favorite was working for Econo Racing. I started with them in 2007, ended with them in 2017 when they retired from racing. Went from being guys just playing with a Supra to world record holders in multiple times in multiple categories, including the current all-out door slammer world ET and speed record at 537 and 278.79 miles an hour. But the Ferrari engineer thing was, uh, let's see, at the end of the V8 era, they were doing a tire test at the circuit in Bahrain and the drag strips on the F1 circuit. In fact, we pit out of the F1 garages. So my team owner, Ibrahim Kanu, uh, is a contributor to the Formula One circuit. And so we kind of got a special privilege. We can go in and work on our cars when they won't allow anybody else on the track when F1's there doing their tire tests. You're not allowed to go outside and watch, um, but you can go in and work on your cars. So as you can imagine, we went outside and watched but anyway, uh, when we're working on the cars, um, they finish at, let's say, 4 o'clock. We start at 6 o'clock. So at some point, they're finishing and they're walking past our garage to, you know, leave the track. And this is, this is you know, Ferrari and uh, Sebastian Buemi was there with Red Bull. And uh, there was some guys from Mercedes. So I see these dudes walking by the first day. And I'm like, hey, what? we should shut the you other know, looking. They're trying to look in, but they're trying to be cool. They don't want to come in because they think maybe it's like F1 and you're not allowed. So the second day when they come walking by, I literally go grab them and I, I push them into the shop and make them come look at our cars. We had Sebastian Buemi sitting in one of the Lexus, our drag radio Lexus. Um, a bunch of the engineers, they could, they looked at the rear tire on the ProMod, the Nitrous ProMod car. You know, it's a B-Block 36, right? And they, they're looking at it and they're like, can we pick it up? And they're like, sure, go ahead. And they nearly threw it through the roof because they had no idea. They thought it was going to weigh like 10,000 pounds. Um, but anyway, so these two Ferrari dudes were in there. I, who, who knows what I was telling them? I, who knows what line of shit I was feeding them when they took that picture? But somebody took that picture, and it looks like I'm schooling them. And, uh, you know, they switched to turbos the next year. And uh, so the joke was that I, you know, I told them what they needed to do to make the turbos work next year, which is obviously complete crap. I didn't do that, but... It, it makes a good story, and it's a cool photo. And, and my friend, uh, my friend Shaker Samabad took that photo in Bahrain, and then my friend Paul Yaw blew it up into a massive poster and sent it to me. I kind of forgot all about it, but yeah, I love it. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool photo to have. I agree. I agree. But now, people who follow you on social media uh, have seen your latest project, and we're beginning to wind down here, of course. And I'm going to ask you about advice for the next generation, Keith. Uh, cue up your final question for Shane T. But 
This new project that you've got going, it's uh, it's hard to, for me to even figure the thing out, right? Like there's runners and tubes and turbos and everything, but you've got yourself a beast going on over there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, short story, I'm working for a team called Techno Toys. They're out of Trinidad. They run an SR20 with a single turbo on it in uh, Sport Compact Series. And we're up at uh, MIR for uh, World Cup in, I don't know, probably 16 or 17. And one of the guys that came to hang out, a guy that I'd worked with doing some land speed motorcycle racing with up in Loring, Maine, a guy named Ralphie Navarro, uh, he came to the race, and he's a, he's a big fan of motorcycle drag racing and, and racing of all kinds. And he shows up to hang out with us, and he ends up hanging out the whole weekend. And at some point, he says to me, hey, you know, what would be the craziest thing you could think to do on a, you know, what would be the craziest project you could come up with to do? And I said, well, I've, you know, I've had a few at that point. So I told him, well, I'd put compound turbos on one of these SR20s and make 3,000 horsepower, and then I'd put it in a car just like this and be the first in the fives at over 250 with a four-cylinder. And I said it as a joke, but apparently he didn't take it as a joke. So later on, he says, you know, are you for real? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know? So about Tuesday, he goes, hey, how much do you think it would cost to do that? I'm like, I don't know, maybe this much. And about Wednesday, he squired the money. So now I got to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, we, we get some turbos, we get a fabricator to build some stuff. We go to the engine dyno to kind of prove the concept. The engine dyno can't hold it. When we get the boost on this thing, it just blows through the dyno right on the red limiter because the dyno can't put enough water on it to stop it. So they start building the car and that's where we're at now. But yes, it is a compound turbo two stage. So it's got a pair of 88 millimeter turbos feeding through a charge air heat exchanger, liquid to water into a third 88 millimeter turbo uh and then through another charge air heat exchanger into the engine the engine's 122 cubic inch nissan sr20 four valve uh run it on methanol and we will rerun it on the hub dyno here within a month or two unbelievable we missed the whole first in the fives and 250s well we didn't miss 250 but we certainly missed first in the fives but if it makes the power we think it'll make, we're certainly going to run it. And if it doesn't, we'll probably scrap the project, just put the regular turbo on it and go race the car because the car's phenomenal. Wow. Well, I suggest everybody follow you on social media just to check out some of the videos you have put out. And I also think you should try to run that in NHRA Comp Eliminator just to challenge them. Like, what the heck is this? What do we do? We should just show up with it and then, yeah. There'd be 300 new rules before we even start Q1. Exactly, which is which is satisfying unto itself. Keith, final question for Shane T. Well, I was going to hit you up with Shane. I mean, it sounds like you've worked on just about everything out there that's got fuel injection on it. What what haven't you worked on that you'd love to dive into? Just you know, to say face that challenge or to bring it to the you know to bring it to the next level, or is there anything? You know, I don't know. I've had my finger in the pie of a lot of different things. Uh, that's how I select what I want to work on. I'm fortunate enough to stay busy doing it and I get to pick and choose cherry pick, if you will, projects, you know, ones that come along that sound interesting ones that sound like they're not that interesting. I'm not maybe too busy for, um, but yeah, you know what? I, I don't know that I have anything that I, that I haven't done yet that I wish I could do because I've gotten to do so many different things, but I'm always looking forward to the next, whatever it is. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw two things at you. And, you know, we'll just say these are, you know, not throwing the gauntlet. I'm not saying it's the challenge, but two thoughts. One, I do a lot of work with these, we'll just say, these pulling tractor guys. You want to talk about compound turbos, how about six of them? Uh, these guys are approaching 6,000 horsepower, you know, in an inline six-cylinder. And 
I'll just say their fuel system is a little, you know, it's kind of a dinosaur. Uh, it, it, it could use somebody like you to help them out. I, I'll just say that. The power potential that a guy like you could add to some of those guys, uh, you let me know and I'll hook you up with some people. But well, on the other some side, of the most looking successful at guys in that category, guys named Blackburns, they're located mm-hmm. in Iowa. Actually, I think it's Wisconsin. But anyway. They're in Wisconsin. I, kind of, yeah, I deal with I've Josh all the time. Get, <laughs> yep. I've had the opportunity to meet them. And so if it was ever going to happen, it would probably be those guys that I would want to do it with. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're switched on. But yeah, I've got quite a few guys, like you say, that are, you know, they're, they're looking at technology. They're not stuck in the rut of, hey, this is how we've done it for 30, 40 years. And uh, it would be just, it would just say very interesting to me because over, we go back to the overfueling thing. The overfueling thing is, you know, my big, from my side of it, the number one thing that I deal with with these guys is just they're, they're just putting, there's so much unburned fuel going through these engines that, you know, that, like you say, someone that could get a proper management system on them could do, I think, some wondrous things. But wow. I'm your Huckleberry. The other, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. But now, one of the things that I also thought about, and, and this goes back, you know, a few years, and it's just one of those things to, we'll say, with your association with Richard and all the people that you deal with with Pro Stock, there's got to be somebody out there that would fund, we'll say, your fantasy. Let's take a Pro Stock car. And let's put an EFI system on it the way you want it, the way you think it should be, whether that be, you know, two throttle bodies on top with a hood scoop, you know, and like you say, because, you know, dealing with the pro stock guys that I deal with and talking with, you know, guys like Greg and, you know, and, and, and Kyle and all these guys about where they're at power wise and what they can do today. It would just, I think it would be so cool to somebody who came out with an outlaw pro stock car, you know, just talking EFI, bring it to the track, show it and say, Hey, here's what it could do with a proper system. And like I say, that's just me kind of throwing out an idea uh, just to say, hey, look at where we're at right now and look at what it could be with just this simple change. You know, not to call it simple, you know. You know anybody crazy enough to try it? Give them my number. I'm in. I'll do it. Uh, and I do know some people that are that crazy. So <laughs> we'll, we'll put you guys together in both fronts. Yeah, that's good. All it takes is money. All right, Shane, at the uh, end of each Hidden Horsepower episode, I uh, I have this thing that I think that there are some – Young folks out there that love racing, they love cars, they love building power, they want to become engine builders. Typically, our guests on Hidden Horsepower are engine builder machinist types, um, and that's an industry where you know getting getting the the next generation involved is kind of a challenge. I always ask for some advice, like get them a, a leg up, leg ahead. I don't know how it is with EFI tuning. If you've got like a lot of young you know kids with laptops like chasing you down, uh, that kind of deal. But um, advice for the next generation, like what do you you think like what has worked for you that if you were going to give them a pointer a tip a nugget to get them ahead in their lives and their careers uh, being involved in motorsports racing or just in general what would it be experience matters um education is one thing but it's really hard to supplant uh, uh experience uh with with education and technology so go out there be willing to do the grunt work. You're not going to start at the top. And even if you've gone to school and you have papers, you probably don't deserve to be at the top anyway. So be willing to put in the time, put in the effort. The way I got where I was is not the way for everybody, but I started in the TFI game when I was 14 years old and did a, you know, supercharged Briggs and Stratton with EFI on my go-kart. And it evolved from there. Um, get experience, be humble, 
And at the same time, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't achieve what you think you can achieve because you certainly can if you're willing to put in the time. Excellent. Appreciate it. Shane, thank you for coming on the show. I know we've been talking about this for a long time. I think this was a great episode. We touched on a lot of stuff. I told you it would take 40 minutes. We're here over an hour. My apologies, but uh, we were going pretty good. And uh, I just thank you so much for coming on Hidden Horsepower and sharing a little bit about your career and your thoughts on EFI. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. And thank you for what you guys do for the motorsport world. You know, uh, if it wasn't around, guys like me would have to get a real job. And uh, don't worry about the overage time, Joe. I'll send you the invoice. There it is. There it is. And I will forward it to Keith. Uh, it will be tremendous. <laughs> Shane, thank you very we'll, much. We'll, we'll, we'll sign that check, no problem. Thanks again, Shane. It was great. I really appreciate you being on. Yep. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it again. Bye-bye. Shane Tecklenburg with us here on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. Keith, you know, if you're an EFI person, you just got to uh, you just got a data download right there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know, I, know, I know just a tiny little bit about it, and I'll tell you, Shane just opened my eyes to a whole lot of things. It was absolutely awesome, and I think even an experienced EFI person should take away some information from that. That was outstanding. Yeah, and I recommend following him on you know, social media. He's always posting his uh, projects and all. But when we went down the road about pro stock— and I understand why they have a spec system and, and, right, the tech department in general. Like, you'd have to have 50 guys, right, monitoring every team. And But I would love to see your outlaw EFI idea, too. Like, that's what I would love to yeah. see. Because it's, like, what's possible? Like, what is what is possible? And he kind of um, made it seem like we're barely scratching the surface of what is actually possible if they were to allow. I've had conversations with Greg Anderson. I've had conversations with uh, a, a lot of different folks out there at the NHRA. You know, maybe some more nozzles, nozzle location, this, that, the other thing. And I know why they don't want it, because uh, not only tech, but expense and um, all the R&D that goes into all of those things. But I want to see the cars go faster. You, you and me both. I, I think there's a, a lot of power potential that's just, we'll say, locked up right now because of the, you know, we'll say the systems. And I understand having to be able to tech it. That's a, that's a big thing. Rules are only as good as the enforcement. And if you make it overly complicated, well, then nobody can enforce the rule because nobody understands truly what they're looking at. But I think, like I say, nozzle location, size of nozzles, quantity of nozzles, where the throttle by. I, I think there could be a, a, a stellar jump up in performance without making it too overly complicated. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see it. And, and for somebody to put a car together just to take it out and run the, you know, run the race down in Florida you know, early next year just to say, hey, look at me. This is what it can do uh, versus what it does do. Uh, I, I'd love to see it. I just think that would be incredible. Yeah, it really, it really would. It would be interesting. We just need somebody to fund it. And so for the Hidden Horsepower listeners, if you would like to fund this, uh, reach out to me, uh, joe at wforadio.com, and there is a chance I will forward it. Uh, we shall see. We shall see. Keith, what else you guys got going on over there at Total Seal late in the year? Hartford finds himself in a championship battle since last we spoke. He won the Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals, then went out there to Reading, Pennsylvania, won again. That was amazing. And uh, just what's happening with the Total Seal team, you know, the home CEO of this operation who came up with an idea for us to have this podcast. It was Amber, actually. Um, pretty amazing. They are right in the middle of a championship fight. Yeah, they are deep into the hunt. Uh, they're just working their backside off. They've got, you know, 
you know, there's a couple cars out there that are really, you know, the cars to beat, and I know his is one of them right now. That thing is, they've really got it sorted out. They've really got it figured out. You know me, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to see him go all the way. I want to see him wearing that number one. But these guys are working really, really hard. And I'll tell you, for those that didn't catch it, and I know you guys saw the, you know, the events in Reading with the car shutting off. And uh, I got to tell you, having been there and, you know, watching these guys go at it, I, and you're going to hear this about every team. Oh, they're the hardest working guys out there. Everybody says that. But I'm telling you, these are the hardest working guys out there. It was nonstop hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what was going on with this thing and to come back, you know, making one qualifying run and then to win the race, you know, and it's funny because I actually had to leave that, you know, so I could get home so I could be here to work on Monday. And I told him, I said, dude, you guys are going to get it sorted out. You're going to figure this out. You're going to figure it out tonight and you're going to come back tomorrow and you're going to steamroll right through it. And I, you know, I don't know if my crystal ball was working better that day, but it, you know, it came true. So I'm again, I don't mean to keep rambling on, but I'm, I'm so proud of everybody that's involved and how hard they're working. And, and I know they're going to do it. I know they're going to go all the way. Well, one way or another, they've already uh, succeeded. But for listen, listeners of Hidden Horsepower, like you know, we could have Matt on here uh, on a regular basis, but he did not. He does not want the the podcast to be about all about him and the, and the Total Seal Pro Stock team. You know, it's not really about that. It's about engine builders. It's about tuners. It's about personalities. All of that. He wins the U.S. Nationals and has a medical deal. Has his appendix removed. Goes out there like gingerly, thinking, "Oh, I can race." and ends up having to work harder than they've ever worked for anything. And he said that the Reading win was a bigger deal than the Indy win because they had to fight for it, which is something that we learn that lesson all the time. Like, it's only worth it if you have to fight for it. They go off property. They test the car. The car catches fire. It's one of the best drag racing stories, Keith. We have people tell us these stories on Hidden Horsepower all the time. That's one of the best drag racing stories. Why haven't we had Matt? We're giving this guy a little bit of time to focus on running Total Seal and winning an NHRA Camping World Pro Stock Championship or doing as well as they can possibly do. We're going to tell that story. Oh, yeah. That story, after it all settles in and he can look back and reflect, that's one of the great racing stories of all time. It's just we're so close to it, right? Like you're so, you were right in the middle of that thing. We were doing Total Seal Tech Talks at the track while all that was going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I say, the person we probably talk about the least on this show is Matt. You know, he, he wants this not to be about him, not to be about the team. It's about us here, you know, at Total Seal manufacturing piston rings and doing what we do every day. But, you know, you got you got to throw some props at him and the you know, and the team and Amber, the family, everybody that gets involved with this thing and how hard these you know these guys work. What a lot of people don't realize, and I'm not throwing anything at, at you know at any team out there, but you know some of these guys and some of these teams, you know, they're you know they they race on the weekend, they go back to the shop, they work on it all week. You know, if somebody caught my Facebook post, I mean, after Indy. Matt came back the day after Indy. The shipping department people weren't here. Matt was in there. I mean, this guy's got less than probably four or five hours of sleep in two days, and he's running the shipping department. I mean, he's wheeling it to a winner's circle. He's out there packaging packages, shipping it out. You know, not only is he running a pro stock team, he's running a business as well. Uh, This is, you know, we always hear the adage, you know, hey, man, you know, got to figure out how to make more hours in the day. I don't know how he does it, but he's got to be doing it because I don't know how he does what he does in a 24-hour day. And that's it. It absolutely blows my mind. And that's it. It's about the time, right? Everybody has the desire, like everybody out there at that level in all motorsports, if you're at the highest level, the peak, the pinnacle, you're, you're, you're good at what you do, you're very smart, you're working very hard, but the difference is... The, the number one thing for Hartford is total seal. 
That's the number one thing. And and racing is a passion project that he is putting everything that he can that's available into. Um, also in marketing for Total Seal, frankly, I keep telling, you know, like, hey, man, the more you win, the better it is for this company. And so keep going. But it was just a very impressive uh, couple of weeks for those guys. And it will be documented, especially at PRI. Keith, the PRI plan is starting to shape up. I know we're a couple of months out, but not really that far. No, it's right around the corner. It really is. And uh, I'll say, you know, unfortunately, due to COVID, I didn't go to PRI last year. It's the first one I've missed in 25 years. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody at PRI this year. And, and, and just I want to throw one more thing out about Matt. And, you know, I met Matt when he came to work for Total Seal. Uh, that would have been in, I, I want to say, I think it was 98. So I've known him about 25 years. And day one, when I met him, he came in here from Division One, had his dragster. I was running mine at the same time. And he told me, and this kind of goes back to what Shane said about, you know, you've got, you've got that thing that you want to do. you got to stay with it, and you got to keep going at it no matter what. Day one, we're talking about racing and what he wanted to do and where he wanted to be, and he told me the day we met he wanted to go pro stock racing, NHRA pro stock racing. And here we are 25 years later. Yeah, and he's in a fight with uh, Erica Enders, Greg Anderson, Dallas Glenn, Matt Hartford, fighting for the 2023 Camping World Pro Stock World Championship. Hopefully, you know, I know our listeners have got their fan connection with other people. And, you know, maybe it's Matt, maybe it's not Matt, whatever. But watch. Everyone needs to be watching every week NHRA on Fox or NHRA.tv. I know we got fans of all kinds of other motorsports, you know, the dirt track guys and the round track guys and all of that. But if you're listening to this show, definitely watch what happens because it's, uh, it's going to be spectacular. There's only three races uh, left to go. Keith, what if someone going wants to the wire, going down to the wire, going down to the wire, it's going to be great. Um, let's talk about if someone out there is entertained by the podcast, they're building engines, they need piston rings. What should they do? Just reach out to us, you know, totalseal.com. Uh, you've got myself, all the other guys. Uh, we're all here for you. Our email addresses are on there. Phone numbers are all on there, but totalseal.com, or you can call us at the 800 800 874 2753 just reach out to us and, and and as i've said so many times for those loyal listeners hey make us your first call not your last i deal with a lot of people every day that you know they've struggled they've got a problem they can't figure it out and they you know we're their last desperation call where just reach out call us first let us know what you're working on and we'll make sure we'll do everything we can to keep you out of trouble and make sure you've got the best rings out there He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal. I'm Joe Costello. You can hear more podcasts like this on my own WFO radio. If you're a podcast listener, we encourage you to write a review, give us the stars, and most importantly, tell your friends and share the show uh, on social media. You can find this on all the different social medias, of course, but Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast, you can find Amazon, you can find Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate all of you out there for listening. Thanks to Shane Tecklenburg for coming on the show. More episodes to come here on Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal.